Welcome back to Podcast 36 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Oddsbreakers. Follow us on social media slash The Oddsbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred. Use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support The Oddsbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theoddsbreakers.com. Click shop and become a member. Pick any for winning campers. You get your premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on Patreon.com, but if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks and Telegram subscriber. Hope you all had a wonderful Memorial weekend, my friends. I was up in Flagstaff, had a great time with some friends that has a house up there, had a lot of fun playing with the kids, did some golfing while they had some camps for the kids to go to, had us a few drinks. Just had a blast up there, man. And it was actually kind of cool up there. It was like a high of 70 or 71 for most of the weekend, but it was sunny. So you still felt that warmth, but it was just kind of refreshing, you know, getting out of the heat and going up in the mountains uh, with how beautiful it is up there, as just well as taking it easy and relaxing. So love going up there. And I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend yourselves doing whatever. You decided to do some people wanted to catch up on sports. You know, not a bad time to do that. I had sports on a little bit, but not either nearly as much as, let's say, Labor Day weekend when football's going on. But uh, Memorial Day was nice. Uh, the Cubs are actually finally winning again. Well, it, somehow they're way below 500, yet they're only four games behind the Brewers. So figure that one out for the division. It's just a terrible division. My baseball took a little bit of a hit. Over the past two weeks, let me pull up my results. I am uh, for baseball for 2023. It says I am 70, 56, and two up 10 units. NBA 2023, I am 20, 11, and 0 up 7.27 units. My unit size, though, for both sports is about an average of one so i'm not betting that big when it comes to baseball or basketball just being that you know the nba is the nba it's very ref driven as you know and you could see that with that last series with boston and, and the heat and of course with the lakers they had every single opportunity for a ton of free throws just like when they played golden state and still couldn't even win one game so I just thought that Denver not only overcome the Lakers, but they overcame a massive officiating bias that still couldn't fix the Lakers against the Nuggets. And uh, you're going to get that because Adam Silver takes a massive hit when these late series conference finals do not go six or seven games. You know, it's just so much advertising money. So I honestly believe that there is some bias there, just like you see during the regular season. Uh, how do, how does Denver go from minus six at home to minus six away without a massive home court advantage? You know, it, it absolutely makes no sense to me, but it is what it is. I obviously wish my unit size was bigger in these sports, 
but I'm going to keep it the same because that's what I've been winning on. And I always preach to people, um, if you're, if you didn't plan on upping your unit size, you probably should uh, stay the same, especially if you're winning, because you'll lose twice as fast if you hit a bad streak. Well, I hit a cold streak in the MLB the last two weeks, taking me down to like plus 17 units, down to plus 10 units. If I decided to up my unit size two weeks ago, I'd be probably close to even right now. So keep that in mind when you're approaching your season. How long can you last with your unit size if you have a really bad start? You know, I had a really bad start in college football. And uh, because my bankroll was big enough for my unit size, which is larger than baseball, you know, my unit size for football is the largest out of any of my sports, uh, probably would have definitely taken a big hit. So bankroll management is key when it ever comes to sports betting and going through the ebbs and flows of it. And I've preached that many times over the past seven years of this show. One thing I want to say about baseball, though, is Sean Kanaki. He is killing it right now. He's literally came back to, I think, even or positive after a horrible April, and he is really heating up since May. So if you love baseball, uh, Sean Kanaki has absolutely been on fire. He's like, I wish I never even bet in April because, you know, if he didn't, he'd be a significant portion up on his season right now. But I do believe Sean's going to finish positive because that's what he does. And baseball is his favorite sport. So Sean Kanaki over at theoddsbreakers.com. Check him out if you haven't yet already. Wanted to get into a little NBA before we get into our NFL, NFC East, and NFC West season previews and some UFC. By the way, I am going solo today. Was going to have a guest line up, but something happened at the last minute that they had to bail. Hope everything's okay right there, but going to get into the UFC, uh, I believe it's called UFC Vegas 74, ESPN calls it, uh, UFC on ESPN, Albazi versus Kai Kara France, so pretty fun card, I did find quite a few potential plays, I went through the whole card, but I still have to fine tune my betting here, so going to take another dive a little bit later today. Then I'm going to talk about the UFC at the end of this show. But I want to get back into basketball here and mention something that was extremely frustrating for some bettors. And that was the conference finals MVP that Jimmy Butler got over Caleb Martin. And the the frustrating thing about this is that Caleb Martin was like 40 to 1 in some books, 25 to 1 and some others. And you had guys like Reggie Miller say that he's going to vote Caleb Martin. And then at the last second, at the end of the game, he switches and just gives it to Jimmy Butler for no reason. He makes a case on TV, then he gives it away. Another guy did that as well. And they're like, what changed? The final two minutes of the game, Butler almost lost the game. You know, And I'm not saying that Jimmy Butler is a bad player. It's just that he wasn't the MVP of the series. If you look at Jimmy Butler, um, game six versus Boston at home. Now, they did lose by bad luck in that last second putback, but Jimmy Butler was 24% field goal percentage, 50% from three. Didn't take a ton of threes, but his effective field goal was quite low. He was 0% from three at Boston when they lost 110 to 97, only scoring 14 points, 50% on the floor, 42.9% 
on the loss uh, against Boston, 116 to 99, shooting 25%. And he was only 38.5% in their win on May 21st versus Boston and 0% from three. And then you got Caleb Martin that he might have averaged a few less points, but he was at 66.7% from three, 68.8% from field goal the last game on Memorial Day. And then if you look at the rest, 50% from three, 40% from three, 57% from three, 66 from field goal percentage, 63.6 field goal percentage. The dude didn't miss. He was like 73% effective field goal percent throughout the whole series. So, I mean, who is more efficient? You know, Jimmy Butler is the more of the takeover guy and he scores more points. But when you're missing way more shots, that's worse for your team. And they took that award and gave it to Butler because of the name. Now, I've heard some people make a case that it was about a coin flip. No, this was not a coin flip. Martin was just that good during the series. They they might they may have gotten swept without Martin playing, you know? I think if Butler doesn't play, they win one or two games just based on how good Martin was playing. You know, they, of course, these were the two best guys on the heat, but Jesus, you know, that was just absolutely ridiculous and atrocious to see a bet that good that some people had that did not cash, you know, absolutely atrocious with these voters. And these people are former players. They're supposed to be the go-to people when it comes to basketball knowledge, but they happen to be just like the NFL, absolute complete idiots, you know, fools. You're supposed to know about the game. You say you're going to do one thing and do the absolute opposite. I mean, was Jimmy Butler going to hurt your feelings or something afterwards? (laughs) You know, what the hell is going on here? It, It just reminds me of how 18 of 19 voters from ESPN voted Embiid for MVP. These are the people that are supposed to rank these teams and rank all-time players, and we're actually supposed to believe them, you know, according to how they act. If ESPN has it ranked. ESPN had the Heat 3% chance to win. You know what a 3% chance is on the money line? That's like plus 3,233, Okay. 33 to 1 for the Heat to win the series, according to ESPN. Absolutely atrocious. It reminds me of the NFL voters who voted Coach of the Year, Brian Dayball, over Doug Peterson when both teams had the exact same win total or expectations coming into the season. As a matter of fact, it was a little bit less for the Jags. And the Jags won their division, did better in the playoffs, a little bit better anyway. You know, they didn't get blown out by somebody. They, they almost got Kansas City. And then the Giants only get the wild card, right? I mean, that made no sense at all. It, and you can say the Giants are in the harder division, but then why was your win total not lower? You have to go by what the coach did with expectations earlier. So that drove me nuts as well. There's just so much bias in these MVP votes and these votes that are just based upon media that literally knows nothing about the sport, that it's really hard to buy into these markets. Of course, you're going to see a 50 to 1 dog hit some point. You're going to see. But with the way these media members vote, maybe that dog should have been 150 to 1, you know, because them just picking somebody that doesn't deserve it just because their name is bigger is absolutely 
insane to me. And just and I truly think that has taken away from some of the integrity of these sports in itself. So that's my rant. Rant over, but sorry to all you guys that had Kayla Martin for MVP. I think that was a wonderful bet. And uh there's absolutely no reason that he should have lost that to Jimmy Butler, who was the second best player of the Heat during the Eastern Conference Finals. What is the five fingers? Say to the face! <laughs> what? Slap! All right, now it's time to get into a little NFL, NFC West preview. And I always go into these things with an open mind, or at least I always try to go in with an open mind. But sometimes my thoughts before doing my deep dive into these season win totals and conference previews or actually divisional previews i change my mind after i'm done and i think you have to leave yourself open to do that you shouldn't have too many preconceived notions on this stuff right and i also think that you need to get to the point because you can come up with all these narratives so you, this guy got divorced this guy uh, lost his grandma you know this guy uh, got a little fat he's going to be horrible you know we don't know What's going to happen come season time, right? And uh, it, it, it's really hard to bring that creative part of the handicap into it early unless you seriously know that something is wrong with that person that's going to translate differently than it did the present season before into this 2003 football season. You know, I like to call my articles easy to read, quick. You know, it's almost like you're going to get the least amount of important information that is all you need to know, right? So that's what I like to do, making an easy read. And then uh, I kind of read what I wrote a little bit more in like bullet points. And then I finalize my draft to be released a few, few days after the podcast. So if you get it on the podcast early, you could have the opportunity of making the play before some of these lines move. All right, starting with the NFC West. Last year was looked at preseason one of the better divisions in football. That quickly changed with how poorly the Cardinals played football as well as the huge injuries on the LA Rams. The Seahawks were able to overachieve some due to this, while the 49ers won a bunch of games without a real quarterback. You know, that's amazing. One has to wonder if Brock Purdy would have been able to win that game versus the Eagles without that injury. To his elbow, that is. I say no. But anyways, that's something that we're never going to prove either way. This division has it pretty rough in general this year, having to play the AFC North and the NFC East for their respective schedules. There's no doubt in my mind that some of these teams may have the exact issues that they had during last year. Yeah, because I'm still not seeing a quarterback for the for the 49ers. You know, I, I'm I'm still seeing a team in Seattle that overachieved. I'm seeing the Rams, even though they have a couple key pieces coming back from injury, 
getting older in some spots and then losing a bunch of guys to free agency. And I see the Cardinals dumping a bunch of salary, you know? So let's see how these things pan out here. And we can start right away with some of these divisional futures. So the 49ers are minus 150 to win the division. Seahawks plus 200. Those are your two favorites. Then it gets really bad with the Cardinals. Uh, Rams actually plus 750, then Cardinals plus 2,500. Okay, that's not giving the Cardinals much of a chance to win this division. 25 to 1, probably the longest odds in all of divisional football here to win a division. That's counting like the Colts and the Houston Texans. So number one, the San Francisco 49ers, their Vegas win totals 10.5, juice to the over at minus 120. Their 2022 wins was 13. Their Pythagorean wins was 12.44. Their schedule, medium easy, at large games at Minnesota, at Jacksonville, and versus Tampa Bay. Real nice to get that Tampa Bay in a rebuild. Schedule last year, easy. Key losses, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, right tackle Mike McGlinchey, defensive end Samson Bookham, defensive end Charles Omanihu, safety Jimmy Ward, cornerback Emmanuel Mosey, Mosley, I'm sorry, uh, tackle Daniel Brunskill, linebacker Aziz Al-Shayer, defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway, and kicker Robbie Gold. I should probably mention defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans moves on to a head coaching job for the Texans. Key additions. Defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, cornerback Isaiah Oliver, quarterback Sam Darnold. That's really interesting. Defensive end Cleland Farrell and center John Feliciano. Key draft picks, safety Jair Brown, kicker Jake Moody, tight end Cameron Latu from Alabama, and a bunch of hope. So last year I said that John Lynch is going to come out of the 2022 2023 season either looking like an idiot or looking like a genius with not much middle ground there. Now, I I have to admit I was I was somewhat wrong on that statement because I think there is middle ground. Even though Trey Lance became a total bust, the whole Brock 30, Purdy thing worked out well at least until the NFC Championship game. And at least according to the media. But I'm going to pump the brakes on that one a little bit. By the time... Brock got his play in his first real game on November 21st. The 49ers were past the hard part of their schedule. Brock played the Cardinals, a two-a-less Miami, a bad Tampa Bay team, an overrated Seattle team versus Washington without a quarterback at the Raiders, and then versus the Cardinals again. And the Raiders game was all the way down to the wire. Dak was horrible in the playoffs, and the 49ers won 19-12. to I mean, all the credit goes to Kyle Shanahan, in my opinion, and I think he could have worked that kind of magic with many second-rate quarterbacks. Here's the good news, though. The 49ers will get Purdy back sometime this season, and maybe he does turn out good, but... We're also going to actually see what he's made of. In the meantime, Sam Darnold is an experienced quarterback that even might be able to look very good in Kyle Shanahan's system. You know, imagine that. You know, it's like Darnold 
wasn't terrible. He just needed a great coach behind him. <laughs> but then he goes somewhere else. He's terrible. This is this is what worries me about Jimmy Garoppolo before, by the way. And I know we're not to the AFC yet, but couldn't even pass his physical. So there's serious worry for this Raiders situation. But here's some more good news. The 49ers get to play the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Rams twice. So that's nice. Uh, I could see this team relying on their coach again. Um, and probably being the NFC Conference champion into the Super Bowl. I could see that. Um, in saying that, I can also see this team struggle due to a rough NFC East and AFC North schedule. You know, it's funny about the AFC North. It's not really like Midwest territory. It's more way out East territory, right? You're kind of traveling from West to East. So you're playing your games a lot later than normal. Uh, or sorry, a lot earlier than normal. Your nine o'clock is their 12 o'clock, right? So um, as far as rest is concerned, also the Niners got pretty screwed being that they are the least rested team with minus 20 rest days throughout the whole season. So there you go. It's like you got to go to the AFC North, which is out in Pittsburgh, which is out in Cleveland, Cincinnati, way out in Baltimore, right? I mean, that's as East Coast as you could almost get. And then they have the least amount of rest. This team can get to 11 or 12 wins, but it's not going to be easy. My number, pure calculation, is 11.22, but there's no way I'm betting the over on this team. I need to see what's going on with these quarterbacks and to see how they take on this hard schedule. The Niners have been doing it year after year, and at some point, it's going to get rough. They lost a lot of guys to free agency. I'd still probably lean the under here, even at the 10 and a half. Let's move on to the next team, the Seattle Seahawks. Vegas win total, 8.5 juice to the over minus 130. 2022 wins were nine. Pythagorean wins, 8.85. Schedule, medium easy, at large at Detroit. Versus Carolina and at Tennessee. Schedule last year, medium easy. Key losses, defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson, linebacker Cody Barton, defensive tackle Al Woods, defensive tackle Shelby Harris. Key additions, defensive end Draymond Jones, safety Julian Love, defensive end Jaron Reed, linebacker Bobby Wagner, linebacker Devin Bush, guard Evan Brown, and a bunch of dudes. You know, I think they upgraded on the defensive line getting Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed and losing Quentin Jefferson and Al Woods, as well as Shelby Harris. I mean, Shelby Harris was pretty much donezo anyways. They can resign him still. He's still a free agent. But I really like what this team did also from their draft. One of the best drafts, I thought, Cornerback Devin Witherspoon. I still didn't think they necessarily needed Jackson Smith and the Jigba, I guess, because their wide receiver core with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett might be starting to wear out a little bit. I'm sure they keep DK, get rid of Tyler Lockett. Um, they don't have a lot of number threes, D. Eskridge, Dariq Young, Cody Thompson. So it makes more sense to me now. And he was the number one, I guess, 
prospect according to most people's rankings, not mine necessarily, but he was up there. Uh, I love their edge Derek Hall pick. Running back Zach Charbonnet helps the Kenneth Walker depth a little bit after they lost uh, Rashad Penny, and I actually forgot to write that down. They should have. That's probably somewhat key is losing Rashad Penny, although he was hurt a ton last year. But my thoughts are they definitely got a lot more added this year than they lost. Now, if there's a team I was wrong about out of any of them, one of my season win tools I lost, one of the two losses out of the eight plays was the Seattle Seahawks. I, this team's interesting coming into 2023, being that I feel like they did overachieve last year. I totally agree that they did. But I also like what they did in free agency. You know, their biggest weakness last year was stopping the run. They allowed 151 rushing yards per game, ranking third to last. But I really like the fact that they dumped most of that bad defensive line and replaced them with the better players in Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed. And you love what they did at linebacker. Cody Barton wasn't that bad, but now you're bringing Bobby Wagner back and that attitude he had with the old Seattle Legion of Boom, right? Remember the Legion of Boom? Well, Wagner's back, man. Not to mention they just got Devin Bush. So they should improve... Uh, against the run for sure, you know, uh, getting those guys. So I, that's what I really like about them. They kind of tape that up a little bit. Now, uh, against teams like San Fran, against teams maybe like the Rams, but, you know, they have some of those corny Sean McVay misdirection plays, but they should be able to stop the run a little bit better against those teams. And the Cardinals are the Cardinals. <laughs> they can really run it all last year. But I think the offense is pretty stacked. You know, if you want to move to the offense, DK Metcalf being the number one, Kenneth Walker at running back, you got Noah Fant at tight end from that steal from the Russell Wilson trade. Don't forget this draft, man. Cornerback Devin Witherspoon, the best corner in the draft. So they, it can be said that they have the best corner in the draft and maybe the best receiver in the draft. Plus, they got a really good edge in Derek Hall. Man, this team could surprise this year. These are great moves. Even though they were overrated last year, it doesn't mean that the core of this team isn't going to improve. So I think they could make the playoffs again. And being that they get to play the Cardinals and the Rams, maybe they do get to 10 wins. You know, maybe that happens. You know, I, I know their at-large schedule against Detroit is a little rough, but Carolina's easy, and at Tennessee should be easier this year than in years past. So there's definitely some openings for some wins here. Playing the uh, NFC East, if you want to look at the bottom of that, maybe you get by the Giants and maybe you get by Washington. So um, anything else is gravy. I think that this team certainly uh, could make a run here and get to nine wins, and that's why I kind of like them over a half, over eight and a half at the minus 130. So that's going to be the play that we're giving you here. Uh, over 8.5 minus 130. If Let's do that for one star, and if you can do it any better, maybe shop that around a little bit. I thought there might be some 8.5s uh, flat that have popped. Get busy living or get busy dying. 
That's goddamn right. The LA Rams, Vegas win total 6.5, 2022 wins, five wins. Pythagorean, 6.31. Schedule medium at large games at Indianapolis, at Green Bay versus New Orleans. Schedule last year, medium hard. Key losses, kicker Matt Gay, safety Nick Stott, linebacker Bobby Wagner, defensive end A. Sean Robinson, quarterback Baker Mayfield, defensive tackle Greg Gaines. I guess Mayfield, they only borrowed him for a little bit. Safety Taylor Rapp, guard David Edwards, edge Leonard Floyd, wide receiver Allen Robinson. Key additions, none. They didn't really pick up much in the offseason, but you have to recognize that Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup should be back at full strength for this team. Two best players there. Key draft picks, guard Steven Avilia, edge Byron Young, quarterback Stetson Bennett, and a bunch of prayers. Summary, there has never been more of a Super Bowl hangover like the Rams suffered last year. I'm not sure that they're going to shake this headache when they've lost just so much top draft capital from the big trades from the previous seasons. Now, they did get their Super Bowl win. It worked out for them at the end of that game. Things went their way in their home stadium. I think that they just did okay with what they had to work with in this year's NFL draft, but I also think that Matthew Stafford might be in the twilight of his career. This defense pretty much had everyone except for Aaron Donald, and Aaron Donald's at the point where why the hell should he try if they're losing, (laughs) you know? Uh, The Jalen Ramsey trade for a third-round pick to the Dolphins really says a lot to me about what this team is really doing, okay? The only good news is that Cooper Cup We'll be back healthy for another run, but this offensive line went from very good two years ago to very bad pretty fast, which could mean bad offensive numbers all around. For 2023, uh, one will not be really able to recognize this Rams team from a two years, a couple years ago, one or two years ago even. This is just a massive rebuild in my opinion and they still don't have the draft capital to do it um they also underachieved last year by about 1.3 games per their pythagorean win total i I just do not see a lot of future here in this and it's hard to bet the over now the thing with me is that i bet their season win total under seven and a half at even money plus 100 uh back in march i just bet it again a couple weeks ago at minus 135, uh, and then I took over six and a half at even money at plus 100 for roughly half. So I have a nice middle going here at seven. I don't think this team gets to eight, but I do have more obviously on the under seven and a half than I do at the over six and a half. So at this point, it is adjusted to six and a half minus 110, but this is just a point where it's hard for me to rec- recommend anything over on this team. 
And if you even look at the 2023 schedule, they are the second worst team net negative days rest. Second worst behind the 49ers at minus 17. The outlook is just very sour on this team. Now, back when Tua was drafted, I don't think that I could make the case that I came up with tank for Tua, even though when I did say it on this show, I'm not sure if I heard the tank for Tua uh, phrase before, but this Rams team makes me want to try to coin a different one this year. And I'm going to go with collapse for Caleb for 2023. Collapse for Caleb Williams. Let's see if this phrase takes off and uh, maybe I will get a little credit unless somebody already has come up with it before me. My season win total number is 5.66 wins, a strong lean to the under minus six and a half. I already have enough seven and a half in the pocket to not mess with it, but I would give you a recommendation to still go under the six and a half. The Rams power rating I have at minus 2.5. So what's that saying is that I really believe that the Rams might start out a little bit better. I think that the fact that they have Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford, I just don't see Matt Stafford lasting the whole season. And you know how power ratings are. They are a little bit more bunched up in the beginning and they spread out a little bit later. So we're going to go with that power rating for this team at 2.5. Finally, the Arizona Cardinals Vegas win total 4.5 juice to the over minus 125 2022 wins four wins Pythagorean wins 5.91 usually at the top and the bottom you're going to get most of your over and underachievers via Pythag by the way it's just the luck of the draw how things happen throughout the season but anyways their schedule is going to be medium hard at large versus Atlanta at Houston and at Chicago schedule last year was medium easy key losses defensive tackle JJ Watt wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins defensive end Zach Allen cornerback Byron Murphy wide receiver Robbie Anderson center Robbie Hudson and obviously their coach Cliff Kingsbury who still might be relaxing out in Thailand Their key additions, coach Jonathan Gannon, quarterback Kyler Murray from injury, I should say. He did play most of the season. Outside linebacker Kazir White, wide receiver Zach Paschal, tackle Dennis Daly, and a ton of dudes for league minimum. (laughs) Key draft picks, tackle Paris Johnson, edge BJ Ojulari, uh, cornerback Garrett Williams, and a bunch of hope. I'm scared that I might have gotten Steve Kime fired from all of my complaints about him on Twitter, or or maybe it was that whole Mexican thing. <laughs> but in all truth, he probably deserved to be fired because he decided to draft a child. And then after he find out he was a child, he still decided to pay that child a ton of money, making the next regime now suck. Because they are now stuck with that unnamed player and a mess of a situation. 
J.J. Watt himself saw that he made a massive mistake in allowing his trade to the Cardinals team. And so he decided to hang it up a little bit early, it looks like. I still think he can come back, and I'm curious what's going to happen, if there's going to be a trade force or something like that. I still feel like he has two or three good years left in him. But the latest development is cutting a top three wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, this is a horrible move this early. Why not hold on to him a while and try to trade him midseason? You know, it makes no sense to me. Who cares if there is no takers? The draft is already passed. You know, is it a money thing? I don't understand why you just hold on to him for a little longer and try to get something for him from somebody desperate. I mean, he's still a stud. You would have filled up your seats a little bit more, except for always the away fans that are coming to Cardinals games. Anyway, the best thing that is happening for the Cardinals is that the expectations are very low on this team, and maybe now they can kind of fly under the radar. They still have some decent receivers in Marquise Brown, Rondell Moore, and, of course, Zach Ertz. But it wouldn't shock me if one of them requests a trade during a very potentially turbulent season as well. In my opinion, there's just no reason to keep them all if Kyler Murray has no time to throw to any of them anyway. I mean, if he's just getting smashed in the pocket because there's no blocking, why bother? Moore is the only one that they should be keeping in his second year because he can stick it out long, longer on a rookie contract. But I mean, I'd like to say that the Cardinals are at least trying to fix their defense with the Jonathan Gannon hire. But I also think that Gannon is a little bit overrated due to the Eagles cake schedule that they had last year. So it's, it's like they go from an offensive focus guy in uh, Cliff Kingsbury, then they go to a defensive focus guy in Gannon who, you know, had the easiest schedule in the league. I mean, it kind of almost feels like an impulse hire a little bit. He was the defensive backs before the Eagles coach, right? The defensive backs coach. So he, he had a ton of talent in the world. Just makes no sense that, you know, Jonathan Gallen, Gannon was taken so easily in this spot. And you saw him make some mistakes in the playoffs. And they weren't exactly stopping Kansas City from marching down the field in the Super Bowl. But anyways, what if Kyler Murray, and I mean this is a big what if, what if Kyler Murray confuses his coach with the main boss of Zelda in Gannon, right? Maybe Kyler Murray puts an arrow through his head. If this team doesn't get to four or five wins, that just might happen. So um, <laughs> unless something completely changed with Kyler Murray, this team will probably be the worst team in football. And I think that's what all the odds are saying at all the books right now. 4.5 is very low. My number is 4.46, no lean. My Cardinals power rating is starting out at minus 5.75. It's too bad they can't get in the collapse for Caleb stakes because Murray is going to be paid for quite a few years here due to guaranteed money. All right, quick recap. We are taking Seattle's win total over 8.5 at minus 
30. Now let's move on to the NFC East preview and season win totals. The NFC East went from the worst division in football to pretty darn good over the last two or three years. We had three teams make the playoffs last year from this group. Three out of four. Not to mention Washington finished with eight wins, eight and a half if you count the tie. So this division was tough last year. The NFC East gets to play the NFC West, who has two easier teams in the Rams and the Cardinals. And they get to play the AFC East, which is a little bit rough. The clock is ticking on the Dallas Cowboys to make the playoffs. The Eagles had it very easy in the playoffs, only to get reft out of the Super Bowl. The Giants and the Commanders are going to be just very interesting this year. Can New York repeat a playoff appearance? Can Riverboat Ron work his magic this year when expectations are low? Let's see how this all pans out for 2023. Starting off with divisional odds, the Eagles are minus 120. The Cowboys are plus 190 to win the division. The Giants are plus 800, and the Commanders are plus 1,100. Start with the Eagles. Vegas win total 11.5. 2022 wins were 14. Their Pythagorean wins were 11.45, almost exactly of what their season win total is this year. Their schedule is medium at large versus Minnesota at Tampa Bay at Kansas City. I'd argue that two of those teams are pretty nice to get for a first-place schedule. Schedule last year was easy, obviously very easy, as I mentioned previously. Key losses, defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, tacker Andre Dillard, running back Miles Sanders, guard Isaac Siumalo, I believe is how to pronounce it, safety Marcus Epps, outside linebacker Kazir White, outside linebacker TJ Edwards. Key additions, running back DeAndre Swift, quarterback Marcus Mariota, safety Terrell Edmonds, cornerback Greedy Williams, whom they drafted, defensive tackle Jalen Carter, edge Nolan Smith, tacker Tackle Tyler Steen and safety Sidney Brown, cornerback Kelly Ringo. The game of football is one in the trenches, and nobody knows that more than the Philadelphia Eagles. This team has consistently reloaded their offensive and defensive lines over the past 10 years or so, and they have many playoff berths and a Super Bowl win and a Super Bowl appearance to show for it. The difficult thing for this team is now that they have to pay their quarterback in Jalen Hurts. That's going to certainly shed some talent, and it's already started happening this year, as you see. Uh, One thing that this team did that I thought was brilliant was drafting the whole state of Georgia. Well, not Georgia Tech, but the Bulldogs, baby. Over the past few years, this has been the number one college football team, and these guys know how to win, and it's very hard for me to find much fault in this fully loaded draft pool. If there's anything I can pick on, it's that they did lose a few guys on the offensive line due to attrition, and they had to shed some money in the secondary. But if this draft turns out, this defense is not going to miss a beat. As far as their season win total goes, I think 11.5 is the perfect number for this team. The Eagles have the best defense in the league right now. I believe that they're going to be primed for another big Super Bowl run. So my number is 11.73. 
My uh, action was too close to the Vegas win total, so no play. Um, my Philadelphia power rating right now is six points better than the average team, one of the top teams in all of football. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys. Vegas win total. There's a couple of them. There's ten, I've seen 10 uh, at uh, minus 105 to the under and 9.5 juice to the over at minus 155. 2022 wins were 12. Pythagorean wins 11.2. Schedule medium at large versus at the LA Chargers at Carolina and versus Detroit. Schedule last year, medium easy. Key losses. Offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, guard Connor McGovern, defensive, uh, sorry, not defensive, tight end Dalton Schultz, running back Ezekiel Elliott, Outside linebacker, Anthony Barr, and cornerback, Anthony Brown. So Zeke, Barr, and Brown are just not signed yet. We'll see if they do come back to this team, but I doubt they will. Key additions, running back Ronald Jones is really all I got. Whom they drafted, defense tackle Mozzie Smith, tight end Luke Schoonmaker, edge DeMarvian Overshone, and a bunch of hope, you know. Dallas has just been the above average team that overachieves expectations. They win like 12 games just like last year. And, but there's also a fact that they're kind of like, like kind of like the Niners. It's like, they've been doing so much over the past few years. You know, it's already been time that you need to make a conference championship run or a Super Bowl run. Of course, if possible, you got to do one to do the other. Their fumble luck was the main thing that I noticed this year, and it's been massive. Plus 12 fumbles last year helped them grab the wild card and get into the playoffs. It's almost kind of sad in a way to see a team win 12 games and not win your division, you know, because the Eagles had 14. Um, And it also what it does is make you go on the road for pretty much the whole postseason, <laughs> you know, they just start at Tampa, you know, that was brutal. So the wild card is just a bad situation. Uh, if some team in your division is just amazing and winning all those games, that's how important it is to win your division. The biggest issue with fumble luck is that they're not predictable. Like interceptions are predictable, right? You're basically over the years, you could predict Aaron Rodgers would be positive in the interceptions. I think, yeah, last year was the first time it was close to even, but you can tell the good quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, you know, good quarterbacks like Justin Herbert, now Trevor Lawrence, they're going to be positive in their interceptions. But just with the fumbles, it was just pure luck. Now, the Cowboys do not have Zeke, they haven't resigned him. Um, I don't think this relationship's going to uh, get get him signed. I doubt he takes a, a big salary cut with this franchise in the future. You know, it's just not what players do. You know, they want to go, they'll go somewhere else for less instead of go back to their team to say kind of like middle finger to you. You know, he gave up on my number, so that's how it is. But Tony Pollard was the better running back last year. And uh, he's going to have to share the load with guys like Malik Davis and Ronald Jones. And they're going to have to carry some of that weight, and I just don't love that. You know, I, I don't think highly of Malik Davis and Ronald Jones. 
I don't like this Cowboys team coming into the 2023 season. They're going to have a little bit of a tricky schedule this year with some difficult uh, at-large games. You know, they're going to have some tricky situations here. They're kind of even when it comes to rest. I think they're just plus one and net rest edge. But it's just a tough division. And they're going to have to play the NFC West, which is a little easier except for the Niners. But having to play the AFC East, I think, kind of ruins it for them a little bit. The Patriots could be average. The Buffalo is going to be good. The Jets are going to be very good. Miami, if Tua can stay healthy, should be good. Kind of just depends upon when you play Miami almost. But I don't like this team to get a lot of wins. I mean, Dak seems to be the guy that gets injured pretty often. He'll go through a healthy year, then he'll get injured. I just like the under 10 here. My number is 9.2 wins for the Dallas Cowboys. I found a 10 at minus 105, so that was good enough for me to do that. I also don't like the tight end loss really, and Dalton Schultz. Now, maybe Luke Schoonmaker is going to be good, but Dalton Schultz was pretty dang good out there. He was fantastic for this team. He was the number one tight end. Ferguson was the second guy. I think Ferguson is number two type guy. I I love him because he's a badger, but Barry Alvarez's uh, nephew, by the way. But it's, uh, it's Dalton Schultz was a key guy for this team. So uh, they, they've been suffering a lot of injuries to guys as well on their wide receivers. They have to stay healthy this year. They're going to come in with a power rating of 3.25, but I can see that going down throughout the season. So Dallas, I, I expect you to have under 10 wins, and I think 10 is the ceiling. You know, I don't see 11 here, so I'm, I'm pretty okay with taking the under 10. And if I push, I push uh, at the minus 105 for one star. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Number three, the New York Giants. Vegas win total, 7.5 juice to the under minus 120. 2022 wins 9.5 because of the Washington tie. Pythagorean wins, 8.16. Schedule, medium hard, at large, at Las Vegas versus Green Bay at New Orleans. Schedule last year, medium easy. Key losses. Nick Gaines, guard, safety Justin Love, center John Feliciano, wide receiver Rick James, Richie James, that was his real name, <laughs> wide receiver Kenny Galladay is unsigned. Uh, key additions, linebacker Bobby Okariki, defensive tackle Raheem Nunez Roche, defensive end Ashawn Robinson, wide receiver Paris Campbell, wide receiver Jameson Crowder, tight end Darren Waller, Key draft picks, cornerback Deontay Banks, uh, center John Michael Schmitz, and wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. Coach Brian Dayball had himself a wonderful first year getting this team to the playoffs and somehow winning coach of the year, as I ranted on earlier. Don't don't get me wrong. he He's the number two guy in my book. This was just a, a huge accomplishment, really, to make it to the playoffs. The G-Men, they did win a lot of one-score games last year with some clutch play from Danny Dimes. You know, Daniel Jones. They also were kind of exposed in the playoffs when they didn't play another fraud like the Vikings because they got destroyed by the Eagles, you know. Uh, so apparently you had to ask yourselves, were the Giants frauds as well? well the answer is probably somewhere between a maybe and an absolutely. <laughs> the Giants overachieved 
by their Pythagorean by 1.36 games, okay? So there's definitely some fraudiness to it. I, I wouldn't call them massive frauds or anything. Not as big as the Vikings, by nowhere near as big as the Vikings. But the big issue for the Giants was their defense last year. The team was in the bottom 20s in both opponent passing yards and rushing yards per game, as well as ranking 28th in defensive overall EPA. So what does this team do to fix it? I thought very little. They did pick up a few guys like Nunez, Roche, Ashawn Robinson, but I don't think this team did enough at linebacker. I think they're still going to struggle at the linebacker position and the secondary. You know, they could have done more in free agency to make a legit run, in my opinion, for a championship. Now, offensively, I thought the Richie James was a wonderful get last year to help ease the injuries of Wandale Robinson and Sterling Shepard, but they let him walk this year in free agency. So you got an upset Saquon Barkley there that doesn't have a contract. And we don't know if he's going to get one. I can see him holding out, even if he gets tagged. Um, does he get paid or not? I don't know. He's a big name. I'm sure, I think they're going to give him a pretty decent offer. If, if But he can be a, like a Lamar type and just hold out longer and say I, that, that offer's not enough. Who knows what's going to happen with that, but it's not great. But who's next? Matthew Breda on the depth chart. So that's a big question mark. A potential issue coming into 2023. Now the schedule looks pretty good from an at-large situation, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but not too many favors from the NFL getting a net negative nine games of rest, which is fifth worst in the league. Okay. So this team should be hovering once again around the middle of the pack next year. My number is about 7.83. So uh, 7.83 wins is no play being that their win total is pretty close to what I said at 7.5, juice to the under. But I guess I, it would mean I lean to the over a little bit. But my power rating on the Giants is minus one. You know, they're not – I think I have to start them slightly below average until I see that defense again. I mean, being net negative points against to points scored is an important thing to look at, you know. And their EPA ranking 28th in the league on, on defense is just too much for me to give them an even average team power rating. You know, I know that a lot of those one score games helped them, but it's going to be tough for me to get on this team. I think as a dog, maybe you continue to look at them, but that's about it. Number four, the Washington Commanders. Vegas win total 6.5, juice to the over at minus 120. 2022 wins, 8.5. Pythagorean wins, 8.13. The schedule is medium hard. At-large games at Denver versus Chicago at Atlanta. Last year's schedule was medium. Key losses, quarterback Carson Wentz isn't signed. I'm not sure if anybody's going to sign him. Probably as a backup somewhere, but who knows. Uh, linebacker Cole Holcomb, quarterback Taylor Heineke, which was their other guy. Guard Wes Schweitzer, running back J.D. McKissick, and guard Trey Turner. Key additions, offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, Quarterback Jacoby Brissett, guard Nick Gates, tackle Andrew Wiley, linebacker Cody Barton, guard Trenton Scott, defensive end Abdullah Anderson. Key draft picks, cornerback Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback Jotavius Martin, center Ricky Stromberg, tackle Braden Daniels. 
Here's the summary. Lots of changes coming up for the commies. Wentz, that experiment blew up in their faces, and they decided to remove him and go get a new offensive coordinator in Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Bieniemy is highly t- is highly touted. He's been mentioned a lot for new head coaching opportunities, but one has to wonder if it was really all Andrew Reid and Patrick Mahomes, or is it Bieniemy? responsible for some of the success? I don't know. But after watching how Matt Nagy fared with the Chicago Bears, I think that his chances might be a little slim. But in saying that, Washington was horrible last year on offense. So bad that there's really not much room to get better. You know, so that that's a good thing for him. <laughs> Now, I do like how this team finished strong last year using Sam Howell versus the Cowboys to win 26-6, which might give him some momentum coming into this season. Now, if you remember, the Cowboys played their starters last that game, and it's unexplainable how bad that was, but I'm also wondering if maybe they did try a little bit. I mean, why why would you play your starters if not? I, I also like the fact that this defense should be one of the best in football. Last year, the Commies ranked fifth in defensive EPA and number one in success rate. Number one in dropback success rate. They unfortunately lost Cole Holcomb to free agency, which was a good linebacker, but they did draft some good cornerbacks that helped them in a very rough division. Guys like C.D. Lamb, Devontae Smith, and uh, A.J. Brown. They're going to need somebody that can cover these guys, right? So that was a plus. But let's face it here. The success of this team is going to go through their young quarterback. And he has some very good weapons at the skill positions. You know, you can't forget that they have Samuel at wide receiver, They have Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. And there's one more I'm forgetting here. It is Jahan Dotson drafted from Penn State. And, of course, Diana Brown at number four. So they do have some weapons. Can Logan Thomas at tight end finally not be injured? I don't know that. But it appears that this offensive line was pretty good last year. And if... The market is kind of looking at them as one of the worst teams. They're only favored in two games. The game against the Bears is a pick em at home. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I feel like they're being underrated here, right? Um, from a scheduling standpoint, I also like that they're the fourth-place team, and that means they're playing the fourth-place schedule at large. At Denver's a little tough, but versus Chicago at home and at Atlanta is a little bit close to a push. But they also get the plus 12 days of rest, which is tied for number one with Chicago and the Jets. I absolutely love that. And uh, they do not get uh, any teams coming off a bye week. So that's just absolutely fantastic. I think their win total is a little bit too low. My number is 8.61. I mean, you have to understand, they did win 8.5 games last year, right? And uh, even though they're only favored in a few games, I think it's because the market's uh, wrong. 
You know, uh, if you look at some of their uh, games that they have, of course, at Philly, they're going to be a seven and a half point dog. But at the New York Giants, plus two and a half. At Atlanta, plus one and a half. Uh, at And then New York at home, that's the only other one they're favored, that and the Cardinals. Miami, plus three at home. L.A. Rams is a pick em away. And if L.A. Rams are kind of tanking, this is late in the season. So there's plenty of like closer spreads. At Seattle is possibly a win, you know, um, even though I just loved on Seattle in my last segment. You never know. It's just funny to see them be a six-point favorite against Arizona the first game of the season and only be favored one game throughout the rest of the season. But what I will say is that if the market is off on this team and Sam Howell is actually going to be halfway decent, they're going to get to eight and a half wins. Eight to nine wins is what I'm trying to say. You know, because right now they're being priced as a very bad team, even though they had the number three defense in all of the league. So that's important to look at. That defense is carrying them. If Howell can be like he was when he had some talent around him at North Carolina, this could be a whole new thing. Plus, there's a lot of hype with Eric B. Enemy coming in. So I think that maybe we can get a little bit creative. I don't think they win the division with the Eagles there at all. I'm not taking that 11 to 1. But to make the playoffs at 3 to 1, I think it's very possible to throw a half unit on there, you know? I mean, we're talking the NFC where all the teams have the extra away game. So it's not like they're getting it worse in a lot of these situations. They're just in the NFC where maybe eight to nine wins gets you that wild card, you know? So a plus 300 to make the playoffs if Dallas has a bad year, couple injuries happens, Minnesota ends up tanking like, a lot of people are predicting. I think the plus 300 has a little bit of value. So that's the one I want to give you for a little bit extra odds. Uh, three to one that Washington makes the wild card. They limp into the playoffs for 0.5 stars. Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. All right, my friends, now let's get into a little UFC on ESPN, UFC Vegas 74, Kaikara France versus Amir Albazi. All right, so this is an interesting card here, and I thought that I wasn't going to like much in it, but I'm starting to like quite a few things, but I'm still going to kind of tone it down a little bit, but there's a play for sure that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a couple leans here at the top, starting with Kai Kara France versus Amir Albazi. Now, I looked at this fight in and out. Kai Kara France has the massive strength of schedule advantage. He's 24-10-0, while Amir Albazi is 16-1, kind of the up-and-comer in the UFC. Now, Amir Albazi, 29 years old, Kai Kara France is uh, 30 years old, so not much of a difference. They're both 5'5". Five five. Uh, it's just that... Kai Car France is more of a striker. His association is City Kickboxing. Uh, France is from New Zealand, while Amir Albazi is definitely more of a grappler at extreme couture. He has five KOs, nine submissions, and two decisions. So that's kind of why you're seeing this at close to even money. You've got the grappler there that has done very well. Only one loss back to Joe Torres 
it was a decision way back in 2019 while he's beaten some guys like Alessandro Costa, Zalgas, Zumagulov, Malcolm Gordon, uh, Francisco Figueredo. You know, not big names, really, but he's beaten everybody pretty much, right? But here's the thing. Kaikar France, I was close to making a play, but I'm just going to keep it with a lean because with France, he's had his opportunities. You know, He's fought Brandon Royval. He's fought Brandon Moreno twice and lost both times. First time to decision, and he just lost last July by KO to Brandon Moreno. Of course, Moreno's a champ now once again. But he has some nice victories against Cody Garbrandt, um, Oscar Oskarov, which was a surprising one, Rogerio Bontorin. I, he's definitely the better striker, but the the problem is you're worried about him getting wrestled, okay? You're worried about him getting wrestled. But one thing I noticed about both these guys, they haven't been to decision a heck of a lot over their past five fights. Over the past five fights, and these are mostly three-round fights, uh, Kaikara France only went to decision once, and that was against Oscar Askarov. And Amir Albazi hasn't really been to a lot of decisions lately himself because, you know, they haven't also fought in a lot of five-round fights. Amir Albazi, out of his last five fights, he's only been to decision once himself. He tends to finish his opponents um, mostly by submission. As I said, nine submissions, five KOs, but he can kind of do both here. So... The interesting fight, I think Kaikara France is definitely the better fighter, and France has definitely fought in plenty of grapplers, right? The thing that I like about France is that he can stop that grappling in many cases, you know? He uh, is great at defense, his takedown defense, 87%, while Amir Albazi is at 66% takedown defense, Emil Barzi is going to try to take him down, but Kaikara France is going to win the striking battle. Such an interesting fight here. I wish I had more info on um, Albazi because I was looking maybe at the under three and a half for plus money. Maybe you'll go and look at it under four and a half. But I have a strong lean right now to Kaikara France, being that they're close to the same age. And uh, Kaikara France is definitely going to have the striking advantage here. So. We'll give you a lean to Kaikara France for this first one. The next one's Alice Caceres versus Daniel Pineda. And Caceres is definitely the better striker. He's favored at minus 175. Um, Pineda is plus 150. And if I for forgot to mention, France and Albazi are both minus 110. I think I did mention that. But going back to this, uh, Alex Caceres has uh, got a better reach at 73.5. Uh, Pineda is uh, 69. Uh, inches, uh, you know, Alex Caceres is the bigger man. He throws more significant strikes, yet once again, Pineda is the better wrestler. Well, this one is a little bit more off because I would say the wrestler should be a little bit more respected in this position. Uh, Pineda has nine wins by KO, 19 submissions, no decisions. <laughs> but when he loses, it's three KOs, six submissions, and five decisions. He's got a bunch of no contests against guys like Andre Philippe for, for an accidental eye poke, Jeremy Kennedy recently back in 2019. Um, he has a couple good wins against Tucker Lutz. He guillotined him, Herman, Burtz, or Herman Burns. So he's got some good fights, but Alex Caceres, not really blowing me away here at 34 years old, okay? You know, he, he just lost to Sadiq Youssef. You know, and he is the younger guy at 34 because Pineda is 37. But 
Caceres has a decent amount of losses at 13. Now, his last loss before Youssef, which was by unanimous decision, was way back um, in 2019. He, he lost to some bums like Crone Gracie, Guan Wang, uh, Jason Knight, Yara Rodriguez, who's not a bum. <laughs> but that was a split decision. I mean, he's a solid fighter, but I just don't know how well he's going to take up the grappling of Pineda. And I think Pineda might be able to win on some points here in this situation. Um, was looking more at the plus 155 for Pineda. But I also really like Pineda by sub, which you look at Caceres. He's lost by only one KO, but seven submissions and five decisions. So I think if Pineda is going to beat him, it's going to definitely have to be on the ground. and He's going to have to get him in a situation where he can sub him. Now, the fact that Caceres is prone to being subbed makes me like it a little bit more. So uh, I'm going to go with a half unit on Daniel Pineda by sub for plus 285. Next fight, going to look at still on the main card, Jim Miller versus Jared Gordon. Now this one's easy for me. Jared Gordon's minus 190, Miller's plus 158. When Miller fights bums, he can definitely win. And he, he he's a, a trained fighter that's, you know, probably maxed out at tier two. He's definitely tier three or tier four right now. He has six wins, 19 submissions, 10 decisions. He's lost two KOs, three submissions, 12 decisions. He's 39 years old, 35 wins, 17 losses. He just beat Cowboy Cerrone at the end of Cowboy's career. Nicholas Mata, Eric Gonzalez, but his last fight this year against Alexander Hernandez, he lost. Um, I mean, he's a, he's a tough dude. You know, he went the distance on his last three losses, at least, against Vince Pichel, Joe Selecki, Alexander Hernandez, even back against Scott Holzman. You know, he, he doesn't get knocked out or submitted too often, but one thing about Jared Gordon that I've noticed is that he's gotten a lot better over the past few years, 19 and 6. He had a no contest with Bobby Green this April by an accidental clash of heads. And then he lost to Patty Pimlet in December of 2022 in England. That was BS. Most people that will come out and say that Gordon was in that fight and possibly won that fight. Patty just got the decision based upon the officiating in England. You know, Patty the Batty, the UFC's new Conor McGregor kind of coming in. But, I mean, Jared Gordon, every bit strong, every bit smart. Good wins against Joe Selecki, Daniel Chavez, Chris Fishgold. He lost, his losses are like to Charles Oliveira. You know, Grant Dawson, who's been fantastic. Obviously, the one against Patty Pimblett. You know, I think he kind of comes back and proves himself here, and he has to prove himself. He's 34 years old. Miller's 39 at the twilight of his career. You know, Gordon can wrestle just like Miller can. I think Gordon's a good parlay piece at minus 190. He's also minus 180 in some books, so I'll probably take him for one star himself. The final fight that I'm going to take a look at, I have a good play in that I'm going to give out for free, is Johnny Moonolts versus Daniel Santos. And the whole deal with this one is that I think that the price is wrong on the total on this fight. You can get over two and a half at plus 140. Here's what we're looking at here. Johnny Munoz, he has 
two KOs, seven submissions, and three decisions win. His only losses were by KO and by decision. So as you can see, out of 14 fights, only four went the distance, right? So you look at Daniel Santos, six KOs, two submissions, three decisions, and then he's never lost inside the distance. His only two losses are by decisions. Well, yeah. what I look to look at right here is what they've done recently, okay? Uh, Daniel Santos, even though he's the favorite, I mean, we're only looking at 135 Bam Tam weight class. Those go towards decision a lot more. He beat John Castaneda, but it took him almost the end of the second round, okay? Almost the end of the second round, he got lucky with a punch and knocked Castaneda out. His fight before that was to Julio Arce, and he lost in a decision, okay? So if you look at a couple fights before that, he wasn't even in the UFC, beat a couple guys in the first round, but then the two fights before that went to decision back in 2019 and back in 2018. You know, there's nothing that tells me Daniel Santos should necessarily be a big favorite here. You know, Daniel Santos sitting here at minus 220 to Johnny Moonholtz, who's 12 and 2 at plus 180. Now, the significant strikes definitely go to Daniel Santos, 4.82 to 3.69 for Moonholtz. The takedown average, though, favors Moonholtz. So Moonholtz is going to be wrestling a little bit. Moonholtz is not going to want to get knocked out. So I think that this is going to play on the ground a little bit more, right? Now, if you look at Moonholtz and what he's been doing for us lately, he just went the distance in his last fight with Ludwig Sholinian. His knockout was the fight before that against Tony Gravely. He beats an easy fighter in Jamie Simmons. He loses to Nathan Maness, but he goes the distance to Nathan Maness. Nathan Maness is a solid fighter. Maness is 14-3. and three. You know, I don't think that this situation calls for this fight to be one inside the distance. You know, I think this fight probably goes to the distance. But instead of taking that, I would prefer taking the over two and a half at plus 140. You are still getting plus money on this with two fighters that really need this win to try and stay in the UFC or try to stay relevant. Both are pretty young, you know. Daniel Santos is 28 years old, BJJ black belt. And you have Johnny Moonholtz, who is 30 years old. Definitely more of a wrestler. Yeah, I like this fight going to decision. But instead, we're going to go plus 140 over 2.5 for 1.5 stars. My friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for the Ozbreakers, please email us at info at theozbreakers.com. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all the fights. Enjoy the games. And go get some winners.